0: Well, if you brought a Bible, go ahead and open to Ruth chapter 3. Um, I just wanted to thank you for um, last weekend. Um, I know some churches um, celebrate pastor appreciation all month long, uh, but I'm just stoked uh, just for what what uh, generosity uh, all of you displayed last weekend with, with the coffee. I got to tell you, that coffee was pretty legit, um, but... Let me tell you this. Behind every pastor is an absolutely godly wife. Um, let Let me tell you this. I could not be doing what I'm doing today without my my wife. Um, the support and the encouragement and the kick in the rear sometimes, man. It's I need it. And so um, now, don't go up to her and say Happy Pastor Appreciation Month, but just squeeze her, give her a big hug, um, and she'll look at you kind of weird, and that's okay. Um, but but uh, my appreciation definitely goes out to uh, my wife 100%. So um, Ruth chapter 3, um, we're almost done with Ruth, um, which is kind of sad. I wish Ruth would go on a little bit longer and kind of uh, uh, show us what the marriage between Ruth and and Boaz was like, but Unfortunately, it ends at chapter 4. Um, but after, um, after Ruth, in, in case you like to know where we're going, um, after praying about it and, and seeking the Lord on it, um, we're going to go to the New Testament and we're going to look at 1 Corinthians. Uh, there's a lot of stuff in there. Uh, that that would benefit us as a church and as believers and uh, a a lot of things that that may call some of us out Um, first Corinthians uh, Paul doesn't pull any punches man he tells it how it is and I think for some of us this morning we need to be told how it is as well Um, maybe COVID has gotten you out of your comfort zone a little bit but now you find yourself getting back into this comfort seat if you will um, let 's not stay in our comfort zone uh, stay in the lord 's comfort absolutely but but if you 're getting comfortable with with this with coming to church and, and, and what it means to be uh, in in the church and fellowship and all that kind of stuff this this next book that we go through is absolutely one hundred percent for you um, and so that 's where we 'll be in two weeks uh, we 'll wrap up Ruth chapter four next week and then Uh, We'll jump right into 1 Corinthians, Uh, but Ruth chapter uh, 3, if you are there, go ahead and stand as we read the word of God together. Uh, Ruth chapter 3, we're going to read the whole chapter, it's not very long, don't worry. You all there? Okay, good. It says, then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I'm Ruth, your servant. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize her. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So he held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. As we dive into it, Lord, may your words be the only words that we hear in this moment. Whatever distractions are trying to creep in, Father, I pray that you would uh, put a a hedge of protection around our minds that the only thing that may be able to to, to come through is your word. So, Lord, help us to have ears to hear what the Spirit wants to speak to us this morning. And it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. You all can take a seat. So, uh, last week... We uh, looked at Ruth chapter 2. And you remember the phrase uh, it just so happened uh, Ruth just so happened to go into the field that belonged to Boaz but we understand that nothing happens by coincidence nothing just so happens God had this uh, ordained before the beginning of time that Ruth was supposed to land in the field of Boaz and so she's in the field of Boaz and Boaz is is basically treating her like royalty uh, Boaz has got his eye on Ruth remember how how he was to ask his servants, who is that over there? He was like, whoa, how come I have never seen her before? And, and he's, he's, he's got his focus on Ruth so much so that, that he says, and, and due to the fact that this was a law as, as well, uh, he says, whatever my servants don't pick up off the floor from my field, that's yours. Uh, Whatever they don't harvest up into the edge of the field, that's yours. Don't go to any other field because the field that you're in right now is the best field that you can be in. And so Boaz encourages her to stay in the field. And Ruth uh, obviously spends a whole day gleaning from uh, this field and and, and it's just an overabundance. And she goes back home and, and Naomi asks her, well, how'd it go? What happened today? And she says, well, it's pretty obvious. <laughs> the Lord's had favor on us. And you remember Naomi. Naomi, when she came back from Moab, because they were off in a pagan country, she came back to Bethlehem from Moab. And all the women in Bethlehem asked her, or asked, is this Naomi? And what was Naomi's response? No. Don't, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, because she was bitter. She was bitter because of all the things that had happened. She wasn't bitter towards God. She was bitter towards the situation and the circumstances. Had she, was, had, had she would have just stayed in Bethlehem, I don't know how the story would unfold. Had Elimelech led his family to just trust in the Lord and not go wayward and off to a pagan country where they worship idols and just trusted in the Lord, things would have been completely different. And the same is true for us today when we trust in the Lord, that is the best place to be in. Rather than going off into the pagan countries and worshiping our idols, whatever idols try to pop up in our life, stay in the Lord. Uh, Stay in Christ this morning. And so uh, Ruth says what happened, and Naomi is ecstatic. She's like, what? Like, like, this, you're telling me that you got all this from one man? And she knew that this was the kinsman redeemer of the family. Uh, but it's interesting, at the, the last couple of verses, we see Naomi starting to kind of change a little bit. She was once bitter, right? And now she's praising God. She's, she's in a different frame of mind because the Lord has provided. Which leads us to... Uh, Ruth chapter 3, in, in verse 1 through 5, uh, Naomi is really seeking uh, Ruth's rest. She, she says, should I not seek rest for you? I mean, you've been working this hard in Boaz's field. Shouldn't I, shouldn't I seek some type of rest? And her ultimate rest would be found in Boaz. But, but here's what Naomi is, is actually uh, saying. She's saying, listen, we know Boaz is a, a family member, the kinsman redeemer. Uh, through Elimelech, Elimelech and uh, Boaz would have been related, what type of, of relation, whether uncle or, or, or even uh, cousin, whatever it might be, they were uh, related. And Naomi points out the obvious, that Ruth was in the field with Boaz's young women, uh, the, the other women that were reaping uh, from the harvest. But then she comes up with this kind of weird plan through uh, verses 1 through 5. She says, okay, Boaz is winnowing barley tonight. Uh, he, he's going to be doing his stuff. He's going to be uh, doing what, what his job is. But here's what you're, you're supposed to do. Go take a bath, okay? Get yourself pretty and smelling good and put on a nice cloak. I, I don't know what a nice cloak looks like, but she encourages her to put on a nice cloak and And let's face it, Naomi was trying to matchmake. Like, Naomi told Ruth, Go take a shower, smell good, put on the fanciest perfume you can find, and this, it's, it's going to work. But she says, hold on a second. Don't make yourself known until the guy is asleep. Okay, what? This is already weird. Don't make yourself known until he's done eating and drinking and he's exhausted from the day. And when he falls asleep, now this is something that I, I mean, <laughs> go uncover his feet. Go uncover his feet. I'm, the last time I checked, not a lot of people like their feet touched. And Naomi is like, Ruth, go uncover the feet of Boaz. What? Are you serious? You want me to go take a bath, put on the finest perfume, and then you want me to wait till he's asleep, and then you want me to uncover his feet? Okay. <laughs> All that you say, I'll do. That's literally what she says. And, and, and many of us would look at this thing, this plan, the strategy of Naomi as this provocative gesture. Like, okay, you're gonna go in there when he's sleeping. You're, You're getting all fancied up, right? See, as if she was being instructed to give herself away sexually. That's not what Ruth was doing. That's not what Naomi was instructing Ruth to do. See, in our culture, this would ultimately be a sign of desperation. Man, she really wants to get married in that culture, it was a sign of total submission. Because Ruth knew who Boaz was, she was willing to lay at the lowest part of where Boaz was. She was was ultimately signifying, I submit to your leadership, I submit to your lordship. It was not out of promiscuity or sexual impurity, it was out of submission to who Boaz was, and that was the kinsman redeemer. She was saying, I submit. I'm, I'm all for following your lead. A kinsman redeemer was ultimately a man who had the responsibility to help a relative in need or in danger. And so Naomi and Ruth, being the relative of Boaz, Ruth uh, approaches Boaz, and Boaz knows that his responsibility is to take care of these, these two ladies because she, uh, he knew that uh, they were family. Naomi and Ruth were ultimately in need. And for the, in the ancient world, we have to understand this, when a, 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 a woman's husband died, it was almost impossible for women to survive in the ancient world without their husband. They would be misused, mistreated. Uh, so ladies, if you have a husband who is a protector and provider, be thankful for that, um, But without a guardian, it it made it impossible for them to survive on their own. See, you and I are kind of in the same situation. If you're in Christ, you have a provider and you have a protector. Listen, without Christ, listen, you and I are in the fight of our life if we don't have Jesus. And, And I can tell you this much, without Jesus, you are in a losing battle. But in Christ, Christ has already won the war. Christ has already defeated death, sin, the grave. Listen, in Christ, we have protection. We have divine providence. We have everything that we need in Jesus. Amen? Ultimately, Boaz, as we see, he would stand in the gap for Ruth, kinsman, redeemer. Uh, Naomi and Ruth on her own, Ruth without a husband, Naomi obviously without a husband too, but Ruth uh, needed help and Naomi needed help. And and a kinsman redeemer wasn't this new thing that we find in the book of Ruth. It's actually throughout scripture that we see God uh, calling family member to help family member. It was even said in the Old Testament that if a a uh, brother's wife survives and he dies, that the other brother was supposed to marry the wife. Kinsman redeemer. But listen, Boaz stood in the gap for Ruth, and I hate to break it to you, spoiler spoiler alert, if you will. Boaz marries Ruth. I mean, it's kind of obvious. I mean, uncovering the feet and doing this. I mean, it's, anyways. And from this marriage, though, we have to realize that Jesus comes from this marriage. Ruth is in the genealogy of Jesus. Boaz is in the genealogy of Jesus. Boaz is Obed's dad. Obed is Jesse's dad. Jesse is David's dad. And David, we all know who David is, but all these people, all these misfits, and, and, and you fill in the blank, they are in the line of Jesus, the genealogy of Jesus, Ruth, was in that line, a Moabite woman, a Gentile woman was in the line of Jesus. But listen, Jesus, my first point is this. Jesus stood in the gap for you. Jesus stood in the gap for me. Uh, When we were searching, when we were looking, when we were trying to figure out how we could be forgiven of our sins, Jesus already had a plan and his plan was obvious. He would die on the cross for our sins, literally bridging the gap between humanity and God. See, when you and I were created, we were created to have relationship with God, to be in relationship with the creator of the universe. But there's this little thing that messed everything up and it's a a three-letter word, sin. Sin messed it all up. And, And before sin even messed everything up, God knew that he was going to send his one and only son to die on the cross for our sins. And Jesus ultimately bridging the gap by his death, he stood in our place. He bridged the gap for us and ultimately seeking to reconcile us back to the Father. Now, reconcile literally means to restore relationship, right? So sin ruined our relationship with God. Jesus came, and through Jesus, we can be reconciled to God, to be restored to right relationship with God. Only through Jesus can we have right standing before the Father, when, when, when God looks at you, and this is great news, he doesn't look at you, if you're in Christ, he doesn't look at you with your righteousness. He doesn't look at you with what you've done. He looks at what his son has done because Jesus stands in front of you. And so Boaz is a picture ultimately of Jesus bridging the gap for us. Second Corinthians 5.18, it says, All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Did you catch that? You've been reconciled. If you're in Christ, you have been reconciled. But now you have that ministry of reconciliation. Uh, to, to proclaim the gospel means that you're proclaiming to somebody else that they can have right standing before God because of what Jesus has done, that they can be restored to relationship with the Father. And so Ruth in her act, if you will, like I mentioned, was signifying submission. I submit. Ruth 3.9, she states, I am Ruth, your servant. Now, Ruth's approach was humble. Imagine with me for a moment, you're Ruth. You know that Boaz is your kinsman redeemer. Naomi tells you, yeah, this is what I want you to do. Go take a shower, put on your perfume, put on the nicest cloak, don't forget the sandals. And you're like, yeah, sure, whatever. And instead of going in a humble, at a humble approach, you barge in when Boaz is fast asleep and you say, hey, I'm here. You're my kinsman redeemer, marry me right now. That would be absolutely ridiculous. If anything, it would probably turn Boaz away from wanting to marry Ruth. Imagine how how prideful that would have been if Ruth would have approached in any other way but she approaches with submission she says I'm following your lead and so she's in there and and Boaz obviously had already demonstrated his affection or his pursuit of Ruth and and I love this in verse 4 Naomi says he will tell you what to do Boaz could have easily taken advantage of Ruth Boaz could have been just like the rest of the guys, taking advantage of the women that were working in the field, but Naomi and Ruth knew Boaz to be a good, godly leader, that he wasn't going to mistreat Ruth. It would have been easy for him to, but Boaz does the complete opposite. Husbands, maybe this morning your thought is, man, I wish my wife would uncover my feet, Right? I wish my I wish my wife would show submission like that. Let me ask you a question: Do you provide godly leadership? We may we may want our wives to submit to us, guys, but listen—it's all dependent on your godly leadership. Boaz was a godly leader. It's it's easy to follow a godly leader when that leader is pointing you in the ways of the Lord. A leadership. Uh, for the men, it should exemplify to your wife that she can trust you, that she's secure in you, and she knows that you're going to point her to Jesus. Uh, Husbands, here's a question. When's the last time you told your wife you love her? It's a simple act like that, and I would hope it's every day, but when's the last time you told her that she was absolutely stunning? Not to get brownie points or anything like that, forget that, but just because you're leading her with love not, not a, not a I'm the boss mentality, but with love. See, Jesus led us with love. Yes, he has his moments where he will, he will rebuke us and, and convict us of our sin, but ultimately it's all out of love. What about wives? Wives, you aren't off the hook, sorry. Maybe you wish your husband was like Boaz. Well, I wish my husband was like Boaz. Then I'd... Un- cover his feet. The uncovering the feet, I just can't get that, that, that out of my mind. But let me ask you the question, wives. Do you let your husband lead? Or have you assumed the role of leadership in your marriage? Uh, now, while both husbands and wives are called to submit to one another, God has placed men within the leadership role to lead. That's just the way he designed it. And he designed it so men could protect and guide. And now listen, I know I'm stepping on some, some sensitive territory right now, but this is it. This is what God has called husbands and wives to, to be in their roles. So listen, husbands lead and love in the name of Jesus. Wives follow and respect in the, love, in, in the name of Jesus. That's what we are called to as husbands and wives. So we see that she submitted. And in verse eight, it says, at midnight the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman was at his feet. It was pitch black. They didn't have nightlights plugged into the wall, right? And, and all of a sudden, you could almost feel some, you ever get that feeling like some, somebody's watching you or somebody's like behind you and they haven't said anything. And, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, how'd you get there? This is Boaz. He was startled to a point where, who are you? Now, granted, if she were to put any type of fufu on, smelly stuff, it would have been a complete giveaway. I mean, Boaz already had his eye on Ruth, right? And Ruth was, was there to show, hey, I'm, I'm submitting. But it was dark, and Boaz, like scripture says, was startled. But I, I love how gentle Boaz is. He wasn't like Get out of here. What are you doing in here? Like, you shouldn't be, why are you touching my feet? Why are you even, what, what is going on? He wasn't, like, he was gentle about it. His, his approach is quite fascinating. Verse 10 through 11, it says, it says, and he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first In that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy man. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. This is verse 12. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. He says, remain tonight. Because if she would have gone, it would have been a little suspicious. Remain here tonight. And in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Boaz didn't say get out of here. He didn't mistreat her. But Boaz commends her for not going after other men. Her eyes were on Boaz. And if Boaz is a picture of Jesus through the book of Ruth, let me ask you a question this morning. Are your eyes on Jesus this morning? Ruth was focused on Boaz. He, he, she says, "Whatever, whatever you say, I, I will do." She was dead set on following his leadership. And are you dead set on following the Lord's leadership, the leading in your life, or are you thinking that you can just go your own way? Ruth could have easily went a different direction. She could have barged in there, demanding her rights, and but she didn't. It was a humble approach. And for the matter, I don't think Ruth just wanted to marry Boaz because he was the kinsman redeemer. Yeah, sure, I'll I'll marry him. I really believe that Ruth had fallen in love with Boaz because of his characteristics, his godly characteristics. And yeah, maybe, sure, his, his looks, but the overarching theme was how Boaz followed the Lord. Which, ultimately, as I was thinking about this this morning, I was thinking about how so many times, and maybe you've been in this position, I I know I have, but when it comes to being single, right? We've talked about being single a couple weeks ago, but when it comes to it, we're so quick to try to jump into a relationship, thinking that if I just jump into a relationship, I'll be satisfied, I'll, I'll find everything that I need in that relationship. But sometimes when we jump into a relationship, it turns out to be the complete opposite of what we thought it would be. We end up getting hurt. Our our emotions get damaged. The Song of Solomon eight four it says, "Promise me," and he's talking to the women of Jerusalem. But he says, "Not to awaken love un- until the time is right." I think there is a tendency to push on. God for the timing to speed up like God I'm, I'm waiting here and, and I don't know if there's any singles in the room or watching online but but you may be saying I'm waiting here I'm waiting God I'm waiting you know and then you just get tired of waiting and then you take matters into your own hands you end up choosing the wrong girl the wrong guy and it leaves you in this mess there's a reason he said not to awaken love until it's time and God's timing Here's the thing, falling in love is not a bad thing. Falling in love with the wrong person may be a dangerous thing. And that's why we need to have discernment and ask the Lord, is, is this somebody I should even entertain being in a relationship with? I think what our culture has gotten into is this dating position where they're more so practicing divorce than they are marriage. One relationship after another relationship after another relationship. No consistency, no stability. But listen, the purpose of dating is to lead to marriage. You don't date just to date. There's emotion involved. There's, there's feeling involved. There's, everything is involved with it. But here's my encouragement. Wait for the Lord to lead you to the right person. Just wait for the Lord. I, I love how Boaz makes it abundantly clear. He says, in 12 through 13, he says, there's another redeemer. I I do have to let you know there's another guy, and he is a part of the family. There's another redeemer, and I love how honoring Boaz is to the situation. He says, listen, if he's gonna redeem you, let him do it. But if he doesn't, I will. Boaz recognized that he was one of the Goels, but he was also honest in that there was another Boaz Ultimately could not exercise his rights until the other redeemer relinquished his rights from Ruth. And so it goes on to say, it goes on to say that there was a conversation, but I love, I love verse 14 and 15. It says, So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another, and he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out and he measured six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. Boaz didn't leave Ruth empty handed. You notice that she went in with her cloak, with what she had. She didn't bring anything to Boaz except the submission that she was offering. But what does Boaz do? Boaz says, Let's put some grain in your pockets. Let, 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 me, let me send you back full. And that's so much like the Lord. It, it is exactly what God does for us. When we come to him, we have nothing. We are poor, wretched beggars with nothing. But when we're in the Lord and we're, we're following him, he provides. He provides what we need And it's such a picture of of Philippians 4, 19, and my God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in who? Christ Jesus. I'm glad it's in him because his wealth, so to speak, it never runs out. He always satisfies. And so in verse 16, Naomi wants to know how it went. And Ruth's response was, was, well, he gave me all this. How's that for a start? and it was a lot and the advice was, advice from Naomi was this sit still my daughter just wait until you see how things kind of pan out over time and maybe that's a word for us today sit still S- sit still i mean we're sitting still now but in our minds we're just all over the place we're, we're so fast to come up with these assumptions, if you will, or, or how things are going to work out, and, and then we start to trigger our anxiety. It just spirals into these, these next things after another thing, and maybe you're anxious this morning because you haven't learned how to sit still, to wait on the Lord. This is ultimately what Naomi was encouraging Ruth to do was to wait on the Lord. Be still, sit still. Psalm 27 verse 14, it says, wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. See, Ruth would have to wait for God to do what God was going to do. It wasn't so much a question of if Ruth was gonna get married. Now she had two kinsmen redeemers. It was a matter of to whom? To whom was she going to get married? Was it going to be this kinsman redeemer or Boaz? For us, it's not a question if God will work. Like we learned last week, God is always working. The question is how? And when it comes to the how, that's where we become impatient. We start suggesting things to God like, God, you should do it this way. You know who you're talking to? Like, God is in control. God is in charge. God is sovereign over everything, over every situation that you face. So quit trying to give him instructions on how you should live your life. Let him lead you. Let him guide you. He knows the way. So walk in that way. Now, I want to I wanna close with this because we see, we see an approach From Ruth, and it's how we should ultimately approach the Lord. Ruth becomes a picture of us and how ultimately we are spiritually poor. She came with nothing. You and I, when we come to Jesus, we come with nothing. But she knew where to go, nevertheless. She knew that to be filled up, to get what she needed, all she had to do was stay in Boaz's field. So, how do I approach the Lord? How do you approach the Lord? It starts by understanding my spiritual poverty. Understanding my spiritual poverty. Matthew 5, verse 3, it says, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The first way we are to approach God, I believe, is to say, God, I'm empty. I'm empty, I, I don't have anything to offer. I, I'm, I'm bone dry, God. My spiritual poverty is evident and the only way that I can be filled up is through you. Recognizing that God has all we need, so why ever, why ever go anywhere else? Why, why do we try to get our fill from other things? But ultimately, I think the thing that keeps us away from our spiritual poverty, recognizing that we're spiritually poor, spiritually poor is our pride. Pride chokes out humility. And maybe you're seeking to be humble, but, and, and you're wondering why this humility isn't working necessarily. Maybe you've got some pride in your life. Spurgeon says this. He says, everyone can start here. It isn't first blessed are the pure, and the holy or the spiritual or the wonderful. Everyone can be poor in spirit. He says, not what I have, but what I have not is the first point of contact between my soul and God. You and I are empty apart from the Lord. He is the only one that can fill us up. The second thing, the second way to approach the Lord is is with submission. We see it in Ruth. Ruth submitted to Boaz, and we should submit to the Lord. James 4, 7, it says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Why should I submit myself to God? Because he has all you need. Why submit to anybody else? Uh, Submitting to God when you know that he has all you need, it's a (laughs) no-brainer. He has life, joy, peace, forgiveness, grace, mercy. Listen, when you submit to the Lord, you're saying, God, your ways are much better than mine. Your ways are higher than mine, and so I'm following your lead. The last way I think we should approach God is in awe. you got to remember who you're approaching. Not just some genie in a bottle. Not just some golden fat guy, right? (laughs) But we should approach him in awe. In awe because of who he is. Listen, who else would send his only son to die for the sins of the world? No other religion has ever done that. Only God who wants a relationship with the, his creation has ever sent his one and only son to die on the cross for our sins. You won't find that in Mormonism. You won't find that with the Jehovah's Witness. You won't find that with Buddhists. You won't find that, you won't find it. It's, it's only in being a follower of Jesus and knowing God as creator, will you find that? The good news is this. Because he loves us on our best days and our worst days, we should be in total awe. Because who else can love so perfectly? Exodus fifteen eleven 11, it says, who is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome and glorious deeds? I'm going to close with this. Uh, and then we're going to sing a song, and, and the song is called Hungry. Um, it, it's an older song, and some of you may be familiar with it. But the thing is, is that Naomi and Ruth had just come out of a famine, right? They just came out of this, uh, this, this hard time. They saw Bethlehem uh, just wither away at the moment. They went to Moab, and, and, and they thought they could find their, their, their fill, their satisfaction, their fulfillment in Moab, but they came up short. And so they come back to Bethlehem. And listen, I, I'm glad they did because it's a note for us. When, when we've wandered, when we come out of our own famine, so to speak, we begin to realize that we're hungry. We begin to realize that there's, there's something I need to fill my soul. But oftentimes when we come out of the famine, we go running right back to the thing that ultimately led us into that famine. Israel was disobedient, which led them to the famine. And sometimes when we get out of that famine, we're thinking, oh man, now I can get back to my old way of living. I can go hang out with my friends that are horrible influences. I can go drink as many, you fill in the blanks as I, as I want. I can, I can look at this online. I can just go back to my old ways because I'm out of the famine now. Listen, don't run back to the old ways. Don't run back to that which will never satisfy. See, the place we should be going when we come out of our famine is to Jesus. And I, love, I love how the song, it, it says it, and it's in your, your notes as well. But it says, hungry I come to you, for I know you satisfy. I am empty, but I know your love does not run dry, so I wait for you. I'm falling on my knees, offering all of me. Jesus, you're all this heart is living for. then he goes on to say, broken, I run to you for your arms are open wide. I'm weary, but I know your touch restores my life. Listen, this is just everything I've talked about this morning. So if you're hungry, if you're on empty, if you're broken, if there's something you're waiting for, run to Jesus. Amen? All right, you can take another seat. Uh, We do spiritual cardio in this place, up and down, up and down. So um, in case you're wondering um, who's preaching today, we'll get to that point in just a minute. But uh, three weeks ago, uh, I was blessed, fortunate, whatever you want to call it, enough to uh, finally uh, get surgery to uh, repair my knee or to remove whatever they removed in there. I I still don't know what they did. Um, But the recovery is going good. Um, And like I mentioned to some of us on our Friday nights, I'm very uh, antsy to get back to here. Uh, But I have to tell you, uh, it brings so much joy to me knowing that we get to have in-house people preach the word of God. Uh, Somebody had mentioned on Friday night, that's a big deal. Uh, for a small church, uh, sometimes a small church pastor has to keep going, keep going, keep go- keep going, keep going. And, and they get to a point where they're just completely burnt out. Uh, but I am thankful for the men that God has raised up within this church to stand behind this pulpit and to preach the word of God. Are you? The past two weeks, we've had... Uh, Ian and Cliff uh, deliver God's word, and and it's been amazing just to see growth and and encouragement. Uh, Last weekend, a lot of you literally chucked your fear away, and I hope you haven't taken it back. Um, I hope you have said, Lord, it's yours, because that fear does not belong in a believer's life. Uh, We have the the spirit in us, so we don't have to be afraid, right? God hasn't given us a spirit of, of fear Right, He's given us a, a, a sound mind, love, and self-control. But uh, uh, I want you to know that these guys have normal jobs. <laughs> they don't get to do what I do throughout the week. And, and when I prepare messages, I get to really dive into it. These guys are in the work, work field. They're out there. Uh, and, and for them to craft a message and to deliver a message in the midst of their busy lives is astounding. It's amazing. So um, I didn't tell them I was going to do this, and Ian's all the way back there making coffee. Um, but can I get Ian and Cliff and Tyrone just to come up to the the stage? But uh, Tyrone is, is going to be our, our preacher today, which I'm looking forward to. You can smile. It's okay. Yeah. Um, but I, I just want to pray for these guys as they continue just to Uh, to lead. Um, It's not just my job. It's where you're going. It's theirs too. So, um, but I just want to, uh, I just want to pray that God would continue to, to, to fill them with his spirit, that they might continue to, to preach the word of God when they're called upon um, and continue to, to shepherd the flock. And so um, as I pray, if you would just extend your hand out this way, um, and we will pray over these guys. Lord, thank you so much for uh, Cliff, Tyrone, and Ian, God, and, and just what you've allowed them to do in these weeks, God. Uh, such uh, concise, simple messages, yet the power of your Spirit has behind, been behind each and every one of them. Uh, Lord, We we first heard about the the snake bites and how the enemy loves to come and he whispers those little lies in our ears. But Lord, we know that when we look to, to you, we don't have to believe those lies. And, and last week, the, the fear that we might be holding on to, God, we don't, we don't have to hold on to him because we know that we can lay them at your feet. And God, for this morning, Lord, in, in the message that Tyrone has, Lord, we just pray that you would speak through him. God, that you would uh, empower him by your Spirit to deliver a, a timely message. But God, I I pray for these men as they continue to to grow in you and to, to, to follow you, Lord, that you would just give them all that they need to do just that, to be devoted followers of you. Lord, we're so thankful for these guys, and I pray that you would use them in a mighty way. Lord, we just thank you. We commit them to you, and it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, Tyrone, you're up. You ready?
1: Yes. Okay, i have added. it. All right. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. Am I on? Good? Okay. Uh, so before we get started on this message, I just want to thank uh, Austin and Ashley and also the whole congregation for this opportunity to be able to preach. Um, when I think of this message that I'm going to be preaching this morning, it's uh, I always want to be the most authentic kind of person I can be when I'm bringing a message to everybody. And for me... Um, in my time of prayer and fasting, even through my busy schedule, this one was put upon my heart because of uh, dealing with depression. Now, how many people has that kind of you know from time to time dealing with depression? How many people? And like that is one of the biggest things that God has helped me get through through my time growing up, growing into a man, trying to understand life. Uh, and like as I get into this uh, sermon overall. I just want to tell every one of you, just like God told me, you are good enough. So many times throughout the world, everybody wants you to perform to a, the, the kind of level in the kind of way that you get overwhelmed in, this, in the sense that you keep thinking to yourself, am I good enough? This morning, the sermon's title is called A Dangerous Dream. And I, and I was thinking about how to describe that, and when I think about a dangerous dream, I'm referring to the impulse to become perfect. Perfection is the condition, state, or quality of being from flaws or defects. It implies that a state of time where there's no need to improve. Well, I'm here to tell you that that's a problem. It's a problem because we overanalyze how we should live our lives. We try to dissect so much that we do not not depend on God. So this morning I have a little video overall that that describes how perfection is toxic in life. If you go ahead and pull it up. Uh oh, lost the volume. Oh, okay. The compet ball. During the crack time, an exaggerated parent
2: turned to me and said, These games are a waste of our time. It's not like any of these kids are ever gonna go play professional sports.
1: It's all good, it's all good. <laughs> So overall she keeps giving more examples about many ways to describe perfection Um, and overall just like like she had said overall it desensitizes us from reality that truly we're not meant to be perfect in a way and now I I know I know most people are gonna kind of judge me in a sense of thinking like hey Why are you saying that I can't be perfect? The world tells me I can be perfect, I can do this, I can go do anything in the world and be successful at it. But scripture relates to us time and time again throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament that humans have a hard time following rules. Wouldn't you agree? (laughs) Wouldn't you agree? (laughs) And because of that, it's in our nature to rebel against what is perfect. That's why we need to help. And to guide us to a God-given perfection. Now, I'm going to get back to that later on in the sermon. Now, we're going to get into the text of Luke 12, 22 to 34, if anybody want to turn to that this morning. All right, can I have everybody stand as we get into this time and word? So Luke 12, it states, and he said to his disciples, for this reason I say to you, talk no thought for your life about what food you would take or for your body, how it may be clothed. Is not life more than food and the body that is clothing Giving thought to the ravens, they do not put seeds into the earth or get together grain. They have no storehouses or buildings and God gives them their food. And how much greater value are you than the birds? And which of you by taking thought is able to make himself any taller? If then you are not able to do even that which is least. Why are you troubled about the rest? Give thought to the flowers. They do not work. They make no thread. And still I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God gives such clothing to the grass in the field, which today is living and tomorrow will be burned in the oven, how much more will he give clothing to you, O man of little faith? And do not give overmuch thought to your food and drink, and let not your mind be full of doubts. For the nations of the world give in search of all these things, but your Father has knowledge that you have need them. But let your chief be care for his kingdom, and these other things will be given to you in addition. Have no fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Give what property you have in exchange for money, and give the money to the poor. Make for yourselves money bags which will not get old, wealth stored up in heaven which will be yours forever. Where thieves will not come, nor worms, put it to destruction. For where your wealth is, there your heart will be. All right, everybody can have their seat as we finish that part of scripture. After reading this text, I can say we can describe that Jesus was advising his disciples to strive for nothing but rejoice in him. He also warned them about what we see today. Um, in the world that we live in today, our main contributors of what drives us to be perfect is movies, TVs, games, magazines, many distractions that we have today. And nothing is wrong with that, but because uh, nothing is wrong with that because it gives us entertainment. But sadly, it gives us a wrong perspective of reality. Now, when I speak of reality, there's a type of reality that's fake reality, entertainment. But then there's also real reality when we live day to day. Now, wouldn't you agree with me that life is not simple? Every day we wake up, we want everything to be the way that we want it to be. But then we wake up and it's like, I just want an average day of work. I just want to go home. I want to spend time with my family, my wife, my children. But then you got a car accident. you you, you know, uh, a dog runs in front of you and then next thing you know, you hit another car. But it's kind of one of those things where you know that something is coming every day because as human beings, we learn to adapt to our surroundings. So this morning, I want to describe about fake reality because it's being publicized so much that so many people are hurting today when it comes to understanding how to put their faith in God when it comes to living reality. The drive to become perfect is used, usually followed up by negative behavioral habits, like becoming too comfortable. Becoming too comfortable in, in, uh, in the Christian uh, atmosphere is like, equivalent to becoming lukewarm and that's a problem because most tend to depend on god less which could lead to progressive amounts of sin which in turn will turn you end up becoming a, what we call a black backslider so this morning i want to challenge you by asking you a question are you becoming too comfortable where you are today do you find yourself living a fake reality or do you Find yourself uh, getting closer to God. It's easily it's easy for us to forget that uh, we should depend our lives on God every single day because of all the distractions that we have. Do you feel like your relationship with God has come to a halt? Have you considered that the halt is due to disobedience and lack of faith? And lastly, do you believe that your will is better than God's will for your life? Now, in 2 Timothy 2, verses 4 through 3, it states, For the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, Will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear something new. Every day we are tempted to live our desires out, but it's not always for our own good to be able to live those things out because in turn we end up having repercussions for that. Uh, you know, you, as anybody can agree, our parents used to tell us not to do things. They say, "Hey, not do this," but most kids they they would not understand because they just want to do it anyway. But as any parent can understand and actually execute overall, is that you're trying to protect them from harm. You're trying to protect them from any danger in their lives, and to be able to compare that to perfection, it's it's one of those things that when you input so much perfection into people's lives. It gets them to forget that they're able to make mistakes. Making mistakes is not a bad thing. In this world, you know, the world tells us that making mistakes is the worst thing in the world, that you shouldn't make mistakes. But it's through mistakes where God moves the most in our lives. And I want to tell you this morning that like a, a parent teaching a child, that's the same thing that God wants us to understand overall, that we are able to make mistakes, but, but overall, you have to remember that it's God's purpose for you to uh, accomplish things in life. So at this point, I'm pretty sure that most people think that perfection, in my opinion, is bad. And to be quite honest, um, it's directly the opposite. Uh, for me, I struggled with depression overall growing up because over the years uh, I had the question what was right and what was wrong just because of the way that I was raised home, at home. And if it wasn't for the fact that God uh, picked me up when I was at my lowest, and told me that I am good enough, right where I am, that I wouldn't be where I am today. And I am grateful for that. For like each and every one of you, I hope overall this morning that you don't leave not really thinking in your heart and thinking in your mind that you are good enough. Perfection comes only when purpose is uh, represented when God is bringing it to you. Now, I'm here to tell you this morning that you are overall important. And importance comes through prayer, through your time of wanting to come to God. And most importantly, that your relationship is uh, rooted in God. Now, as simple as that, that, that sounds, most would agree that it's kind of binding. It feels like when I say these things that it can be boring at times, because it's like when we read the Bible and we try to apply it to our life, it can become very boring overall. But overall, every story has a fundamental truth that we have something to learn from it. That if anything we shouldn't repeat the same things that our fathers, mothers and fathers before us have, have went through, all the trials and tribulations they went through. But sadly today, it's increased even more. So this morning, I want to ask you, what do you believe in when it comes to making decisions? Is decisions, is, is, is it made for you to get something in return? or is it for you to be able to grow towards purpose, to make an impact in this world? Now this morning, I wanna tell you uh, overall how you can have the opportunity to gain found a foundational perfection and that's through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was born and brought to this earth for us to have an opportunity to be one with God. When we go back to the book of Genesis 3, we get the first example of how perfection was used in a way that was skewed, but it's also an example of how human beings try to describe perfection. Um, Eve had ate up the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and through that, sin had entered the earth. Now in Matthew, uh, Matthew, I think it was Matthew 12. Um, overall, when Christ later on in the New Testament, when he went through that, he went through the same trials, uh, kind of exemplifies as uh, Eve went through there, when the devil had tempted him to become perfect. Every time the devil came to Jesus saying. You can become perfect as a king. You can become perfect by ruling over people and everything else. Jesus denied it by saying that I am no good and I'm no better than these people that were before me. But I believe in God. And God is my foundation. And God is my perfection. And that is what I'm going to stand firm in. This morning, that example is the kind of example of perfection that is valuable. That can be passed on through the generations. That that that's not over over uh, overlooked when it comes to speaking truth to people. So this morning, I want to tell you that Christ, after dealing with that, he did the most most uh, difficult thing that anybody could do, and that was to sacrifice his own will, to sacrifice his own good, for us to have an opportunity to be one with God. Now this morning, Christ's death was not the most important part, but his resurrection was. Through his resurrection, the Holy Spirit was fled out through the earth, where we were we able to gain the Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, perfection was the thing that was able to do through God's purpose. This morning... As we get to the end of this sermon overall, I want to remind each and every one of you that when you put Jesus as your foundation, the Holy Spirit can be able to move in you, to be able to reach out to people, tell them the good news, that they are good enough when they are able to let go of all their pain, all their suffering to Christ. When they are able to not think so much more than themselves that the world is trying to put them put them on a pedestal. But they're right here at a level where God can use them and give them a purpose and a future to do many great things. Can I have everybody bow their heads as we get into this closing prayer? This morning, I just wanna thank everybody for coming this morning. Uh, overall, I just want to apologize if I didn't make all that sense. But overall, my heart is poured into this sermon. My heart is poured into your word. And I thank you, God, for touching everybody in their lives, Lord. I pray this morning that they don't leave the same way, but they, come, they leave knowing that they're, uh, they're are, they are of value in your eyes. That you uh, have sacrificed so much just so they can have an opportunity. To have a personal relationship with you. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray, Lord, that they uh, guard their hearts from the lies of this world. I pray that they pray daily, read your word, fast, get closer to you, and through that, they become perfect in your eyes. Not everybody around them, but in your eyes. In Jesus' name, amen.